I'm glad you're joining us on Radio Free Georgia's In Tune to Nature program. I'm host Carrie Freeman coming to you from Atlanta in October of 2021. And today we're going to be talking about an innovative ecosystem protection program that connects wilderness reserves spanning North America from the Western United States to Northern Canada, creating needed safe passing corridors for wildlife to roam and migrate as they deserve to. It's called Y2Y Yellowstone to Yukon. The Yellowstone to Yukon Conservation Initiative is a joint Canada-US not-for-profit organization and the only organization dedicated to securing the long-term ecological health of this entire region. Y2Y harmonizes the needs of people with those of nature. Their vision is an interconnected system of wild lands and waters stretching 2,000 miles from Yellowstone National Park in Montana to the Yukon region near Alaska in Northern British Columbia, Canada. Working with a network of partners collaboratively, they knit this landscape together from one jurisdiction to the next. Their website is y2y.net and the two is is a number two, y2y.net. Stands for um, Yellowstone to Yukon. Our guest is Hannah Rasker, who supports the Yellowstone to Yukon Conservation Initiative in her roles as U.S. Program and Adaptive Management Coordinator. She recently received her Master's in Environmental Conservation from the University of Wisconsin's Nelson Institute for Environmental Studies. Originally from the Rocky Mountain West, Hannah grew up exploring the mountains and rivers around Yellowstone National Park and has a lifelong passion for contributing to the success of conservation efforts. Her professional background includes many years experience in the environmental nonprofit sector, ranging from fundraising to operation roles. She's worked with citizen science groups, land-based conservation efforts, large carnivore coexistence efforts around the greater Yellowstone ecosystem, and has enjoyed fieldwork positions focused on sage grouse in Wyoming and carnivores in Zambia. Hannah enjoys exploring the outdoors through hiking and canoeing with her partner, Sam, and dog, Oscar. Welcome, Hannah. Thank you, Carrie, for that introduction. Hello. Yeah, well, you've had such an interesting um, interesting experiences already in life <laughs> in, in Zambia and in Wyoming, um, helping out animals. So I'm so glad you've got a permanent job putting your talents towards towards wildlife. Yes, yes. And I love, um, I love why to why I've been a, a part and aware of the organization since I was a young girl growing ah. up in Southwest Montana. And it is a wonderful group to be a part of. And, you know, somehow I had never heard about this initiative until this year. And then I was quite impressed and excited to learn about its existence and its successes. By way of introducing our audience to Y2Y, can you tell us what you think is special and exciting about the Yellowstone to Yukon Conservation Initiative? Yeah, so Y2Y is really focused on large landscape connectivity. And so, like you said, um, our mission is to connect and protect habitat from Yellowstone National Park all the way to the Yukon Territory in Canada so people in nature can thrive. And Yellowstone National Park is in that northwest corner of Wyoming. And if you think about going north along the spine of the Rockies and all the different landscapes, the different people and the different barriers that you might encounter, if you're an animal that wants to move from the north to the south or from the south to the north. And so what's really unique and special about Y2Y, um, there's two things. 
So one is the scope. This is an immense region. It covers uh, roughly 2,000 miles long. That's roughly the size of Texas and spans the entire spine of the Rocky Mountains. So that's a huge area. And that's, yeah. that's, that, that's something that really makes us stand out and what makes us unique. The second is partnerships. And that's yeah. really at the core of what Y to Y is about is the connectedness also with people and bringing together partners to stitch together this landscape, whether they're indigenous groups, whether they're state agencies, whether they're rural communities, local landowners. We work with 450 plus partners across this immense landscape wow. to really enable wildlife movement and large landscape connectivity. And so, so, so those are kind of the two main elements that make us unique. Yeah. When you look at the map of the area, because a lot of us in the United States don't know as much about Canada, especially Northern Canada. And so I really didn't know where Yukon was. I had to mm -hmm. look it up. And then I saw that it was up in the Northwestern part of British Columbia near Alaska and just how big of an effort this really is. And that's part of what was so exciting because normally we kind of work on parks and more of a piecemeal situation and just mm -hmm. find all separate wildernesses to try to quote unquote save. Um, but, and, well, that gets me to my next question, which is about animal migration, because of course that's one of the challenges um, with the piecemeal approach is just mm -hmm. that animals don't want to stay in just like a little tiny area. So uh, in terms of the animal migration aspect of Yellowstone to Yukon and connecting these parks so that animals don't have to be stuck within the borders of each ind individual park or risk hunters and highways if they leave the park, can you give us an example of how the Y2Y efforts have been able to connect certain parks? Yeah, absolutely. So um, maybe some of your listeners have been to Yellowstone National Park. It's a big national park yes. um, right in the middle of uh, the Rocky Mountains, and it has bears, it has wolves, it has elk, deer, moose, whole suite of species, beautiful landscape, and there's no fences, which is great. Right. And so when a bear gets to the end of Yellowstone National Park, it doesn't see a sign that right. says, hey, bear, FYI, you shouldn't go there. It doesn't see a fence. There's no barrier, which is beautiful. That's what's amazing about our parks in the US. And so what we do at y to y is look at all the different elements that are needed for that bear to move out of Yellowstone National Park, for example, and to connect to other habitat. And so um, a key element of this is looking at, you know, migrations you talked about. And so all the different species that need to be able to move you know, wildlife need to be able to move, whether it's to find mates, to find food, to find resources, or to escape major climatic events, such as wildfires, which are a huge part of yes. life now in the West. Um, just yesterday, I had a huge pile of smoke come into my home valley that we hadn't had for a while. And there was a wildfire close to town. And so it's, it's a part of the West that really for example, requires wildlife to be able to move. And so let me just kind of paint yeah. the picture then how Y to Y comes in and helps animals like grizzly bears move. So one of the main uh, species that we're focused on is grizzly bears. And I'm so glad you had Doug Chadwick on your uh, station. Yeah, and on the your system. author <laughs> of uh, Four Fists yep. of Grizzly book. Yep. 
Yeah. And he, he spoke a lot about grizzly bears and, and, and why they're such an important species. So I won't dive into that in much detail, but, um, when a bear tries to say migrate out of Yellowstone National Park or migrate to Yellowstone National Park, there's gonna be certain elements of the landscape that are barriers to that bear's movement, such as a busy highway. So Interstate 90 is a main east to west interstate that goes across our region. It sees really heavy traffic. Mm -hmm. And so how is an animal gonna get across I-90? So yeah. for example, there are wildlife crossing structures. Uh, Canada has been leading the way um, and around Banff National Park in developing these crossing structures since the early 90s. Um, and they range from big to small to over to under. And so it's a wildlife bridge that enables this bear to cross the interstate. So that's one element of our work is working with transportation industries to find locations where we can help wildlife cross busy roads. Great. Yeah. And, and then, so, oh, do oh, you see that working then? Like that, are there some roads then like that safe places for grizzly bears to cross uh, near Yellowstone now? Yeah. So we're in the progress of working with um, the Montana Department of Transportation and then also Idaho um, to find those best locations. So we yeah. don't have per se an overpass built yet, but okay. we know that there's locations where we're working for this to be part of the landscape. How there's do you one... identify, do you look for like places where the animals have chosen to cross repeatedly? Is that, is that where you look? Yeah, we look at a couple different layers of information. So one is wildlife movement, you know, yeah. where, where do the wildlife want to cross the road? And a lot of that is riparian corridors. So these areas along waterways that are densely vegetated, they have resources, they mm -hmm. have water. Riparian corridors become sort of these avenues for migration across the landscape. And for many species, not just bears, also right. ungulates, elk, deer, you name it. Um, so that's one layer. Another layer is that we look at where wildlife vehicle collisions are happening. Right, right. And so this is where, you know, a driver has hit a deer, for example, and then the agency records it and we can see, oh, this is a hot spot. This is a place where a lot of collisions are happening. What can we do to make this spot better? And what's interesting and what I really love about this work is it's, it's about people too. And, yes. you know, we're, we're really focusing on how can we make this landscape better for people and wildlife? And we all know a wildlife vehicle collision is not something we want to go through. No one wants to hit a Nobody deer. Nobody wants that, right. <laughs> Nobody wants yeah. that. And so um, this is something where we're trying to make the road safe for, for people and for wildlife, which is really important. And like, I was just kind of wondering some questions about the wildlife overpasses and underpasses that help mm -hmm. animals and nature cross these human highways. Um, like, how do the animals know how to use that route once it's built? You know, like, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? D is it possible that they would ignore it <laughs> or um, still cross the road right next to a, a bridge or something? Or in terms of how you've seen it work in other places? 
Yeah, well, and that's where it comes down to knowing the specifics of the wildlife movement and what location is best. And so there's some amazing examples of these overpasses being built in Nevada or Wyoming or Colorado, and you see huge herds of pronghorn just go right across the overpass. It's funny that you mentioned that because the only wildlife overpass I've ever seen was in Wyoming and it was, it's probably like an hour or so South of, um, uh, Grand Teton national park, but, and it's for pronghorn, um, and which are an animal I had never seen coming from the East coast. I didn't really even know we had these, um, speedy antelope type animals Mm -hmm. here um in the united states but i was so excited and you can go online and just even if you type in pronghorn wildlife crossing you can see them crossing because there's like grass on the bridge and i think maybe that helps them understand it's for them because it seems almost fluid yep exactly you know with the grass on all the sides and the bridge Yeah, this is an area that they've been using for generations, right? They know that this is kind of the spot to get from north to south, for example. And so once the bridge is there, they're like, easy. This is what we need. And so wildlife crossings, they're designed so they have natural vegetation on them. Um, They come in a variety of different shapes and forms and sizes. And then another element that really helps um, kind of funnel the wildlife to these bridges is fencing. Ah. And so that's a key part to keep the wildlife off the roadway and to help them pinpoint into a specific location where they can get from one side to the other. Because it's going to be a variety of wild animals crossing. It's not just going to be grizzly bears or, I mean, because it could be bison, it could be the pronghorn, it could be snakes. I mean, yeah. so- They all, I guess the fencing helps everybody, at least land-based animals, um, kind of, it, it funnels them, I guess, towards the underpass or the overpass. Yep, exactly. And, and that's really a key part of our work throughout the region is we use grizzly bears, for example, as our main indicator species for large landscape connectivity. If a grizzly bear can get from point A to point B, then a ton of other species right. benefit from this connectivity. And so that's where our work with transportation agencies and then also our private lands work and our public lands work. We have so many different tools in our tool basket that enable us to stitch together this landscape and kind of create a, a hopscotch for wildlife, for grizzly bears. They can go from one place to the next, to the next, to the next and link up this entire region. That's awesome. Have you noticed, do, have there been any evidence of um, any particular animal who has traveled really far or maybe from Yukon to Yellowstone? <laughs> or I don't know if they want to travel that, you know, 2000 miles, but I don't know if you've tracked some of the migration from certain animals like individuals. Yeah, well, so we do work with state agencies, so Montana Fish, Wildlife and Parks and the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. Um, They've put collars on grizzly bears. We've been able to see grizzly bear movements throughout this corridor, which is always fascinating. Yeah, I'm a a map guru. I love looking at maps and seeing where wildlife move. And yeah, it's so cool. And I want to tell you one story that might example or, you know, show an example of of this cross-border movement. And so we talk um, in our stories a lot about Pluey the wolf. 
And so Pluie was a wolf that was radio collared early in the 1990s. And she traveled hundreds of miles between Calgary, Alberta, so up in that uh, Northern Rockies area, down into Glacier National Park, over to Idaho, a little bit of Washington, and then back up to Banff National Park. Wow. Yeah, so she <laughs> traveled hundreds of miles. She never crossed um, you know, a sign that said, Hey, Pluey, FYI, you're going into Canada now. Right. Or, do you have or, your passport? Yeah. Do you have uh, your passport? Oh, now you're in the yeah, US. <laughs> have you ever your COVID vaccine? Yes. Right. right exactly. <laughs> so that's an example of um, one specific individual where we were, we were able to track her movements and really, you know, listen to the wildlife. How, how do they move? What do they need to make the link to make this landscape connected and to really complete their life cycle. And then yeah. what can we do to help animals like Pluie the wolf? So that's right. just one example. Yeah, I love that. Individual. If you're just joining us on Radio Free Georgia, this is In Tune to Nature. I'm host Carrie Freeman talking about the Yellowstone to Yukon Conservation Initiative, connecting wilderness regions from Montana to up near Alaska uh, with Y2Y's Hannah Rasker. And their website is y2y.net. Am I right? Yeah, yep, y2y.net. That's it. Um, Hannah, I also wanted to say, like, I don't know, no matter where we live, how can we make it a governmental priority, do you think, to get <laughs> the resources allocated to care about these animals' lives and, and human lives as well, to get mm-hmm. safe road passageways built? Because I, I guess here in Georgia, I don't recall or it's not been obvious if there are wildlife crossing. So I don't think it's really on people's radar that this is an option. So it mm-hmm. almost seems like the, we're treating the wildlife like they're just an imposition to our transport, you know, our mm-hmm. travels, like how dare they cross the road. Um, and so I, I don't know if you have some advice for some of us in other regions about how we can kind of get this done and get um, overpasses and underpasses for wildlife built on our major roadways. Yeah, that's a great question. And gosh, it makes me want to travel to Georgia and see. Yes, come on. We need you here. (laughs) That you guys have and all the different wildlife. Um, Like I'm just thinking, you know, you mentioned snakes. You guys have a variety of um, amphibians that probably need to be able to cross roadways. Right. Sometimes in different parts, there could be turtles. (laughs) Yeah, crabs. And of course, we have black bears and so not grizzly bears, but, and then we have coyotes and yes, oh great, so many, great. and then we have a lot of deer. And so that's usually the signs you see are for deer crossings. Mm-hmm. And so, mm-hmm. um, but I've never seen a bridge being built for them. Right. Well, I say voices matter and voting yeah. matters. So those are the two things, you know, your, your local elections really count. Yeah. Um, the um, city commissioners, County commissioners, county boards, local transportation departments, they're all involved. Yeah. Um, there's so many different layers of building transportation infrastructure, whether it's at the local scale on a local highway versus a busy interstate. Um, and so voting matters and also um, make your voice heard. You know, yeah. if you if you think this is an important issue, reach out to your transportation department and say, hey, I'm what are we doing about this? Yeah. Where, where, where are our hotspots for wildlife vehicle collisions and how can we make the roads safer for people in wildlife? Right. I, I like that. 
Now, Hannah, for listeners who are interested in supporting Yellowstone to Yukon Conservation Initiative, what are some ways they could get involved? Yeah, great. So one way, go to our website, y2y.net. There's a page on there that says Get Involved where you can um, join us. We have a listserv where you can be updated about progress in the region and join our action alerts. You can donate to support our work. Um, You can also follow us on social media. We're on all the major ones, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Um, And then the last thing I'll say is just, you know, find a local group in your area that's working on landscape connectivity. There might be um, a small group in Georgia who's trying to work on very similar projects. Yeah, all of this was getting me thinking about connections that we could make between wildlife refuges in the southeastern USA, like starting with the Everglades in, mm-hmm. in South Florida, where I'm from, and then maybe up through the Okefenokee Swamp in southern Georgia, and then to the North Georgia Chattahoochee Forest, and then we've got the Smoky Mountain National Park in Tennessee, and then maybe we can then connect it all the way to Yellowstone. So then oh, we could have a, love it. instead of just Yellowstone to Yukon initiative, we could have an Everglades to Alaska conservation initiative or something. That's great. And that's, <laughs> and that's the main point is that these parks and these preserves, they're healthier when they're connected. Yeah. I learned that um, from reading um, o, uh, E.O. Wilson's book, Half Earth. Mm-hmm. Um, just about how he was saying it's not enough to just preserve little pieces here and there that ultimately those animals are not going to thrive because it can lead to inbreeding and different things. They need to be able to move and mix exactly. up their gene pool and have different food sources. And of course, with climate change, there's going to be all kinds of climate refugees. They're not just going to be human. And so, right, they need to migrate with like, like you mentioned with the wildfires. And so that half earth book really hit home for me. So I think that's also why, when I found out about Y2Y, I was so excited to see that, um, the notion of connectivity between wilderness areas is now getting more attention, not just the actual parks themselves. Like how do you connect the parks? And so I think what you're doing there is just so innovative and really, really necessary. Great. Yeah. Thank you for that. I mean, gosh, you said it very well. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that is the end of our show. And I want to thank you, Hannah Rasker, for being with us on Radio Free Georgia's In Tune to Nature program. And thank you for the work that you do protecting our continent's wild animals and enabling their free movements. Thank you, Carrie. And to our listeners, thank you for tuning in to In Tune to Nature, broadcasting every Wednesday at 6.30 p.m. Eastern Time, online at wrfg.org and on Atlanta radio station 89.3 FM. We post action items, news, and podcasts on the show's website, facebook.com backslash In Tune to Nature. The views and opinions expressed in this show do not necessarily reflect those of WRFG, its board staff, or volunteers. I'm one of those volunteers. I'm host Carrie Freeman, asking you to please support independent, non-commercial media like Radio Free Georgia. And remember to take care of yourself and others, including other species. Thank you for listening. Cheers.